the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to answering your Bible questions. And the most interesting way to do that is to have you call and ask those questions. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free. If you're outside the local area, at 877-630-KSLR, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free mobile app. That's the Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is to use the KSLR free mobile app and hit the Call Now button, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend in church. We did. Lots and lots of people. Romans chapter 8. I only did one verse yesterday. Romans 8 verse 1. And uh, I actually have a question about that. So uh, if we get to it a little bit later. Uh, But um, uh, just a great day. People got saved and um, lots of people here. So I hope that happened at your church. Hope people got saved. And, and hope that the Lord was able to use you. I'm going to give you a, uh, um, I'm going to read something in just a couple of moments um, that, that I think makes the point really, really clearly. Uh, just so that you know, tonight, because it's Monday, is our Sweet Summer Devotion Series for the ladies. And ladies, this is our final Sweet Summer Devotions for the year. It's been a really um, rich and sometimes heavy series. But tonight uh, will be um, good news. Holly McPherson will be uh, sharing her heart. Uh, Holly's been through a lot, and God has triumphed, and uh, I just love this girl with all of my heart. So she'll be sharing tonight at 7 o'clock. Again, uh, child care is provided, no problems there. Your kids will be taught about Jesus. Um, you can bring your husbands and your, uh, your teenagers if you have them, because Pastor Ken will be teaching the men's. He's doing Ephesians uh, 5. I think he told me he's only doing one verse tonight, chapter 5, verse 18. And then uh, Pastor Nelly is going uh, through the Bible with uh, his high school age youth. All of that tonight here at 7 o'clock. Thank you for your prayers. It seems I could just talk for an hour here today. There's so much going on. But thank you for your prayers for our kids camp and um, the the youth retreat. It was really, really great. An amazing time. Uh, I'm going to read something in just a moment. But... um, it was fascinating. A lot of people looked really, really tired yesterday, but they were really, really filled with joy. So thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it very, very, very much. I had something else and forgot, so let me just go to what I was going to read. I have said on this program many times um, the value of serving. You know, we get into a church and we just kind of become a spectator and we wonder why God's not moving in our lives. It's when we step out with Jesus and do what we're called, when we use our gifts and our talents uh, for his glory. Um, that's when God really meets us in, in a powerful way. 
God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey in the context in Acts 5.32 is always in power. And it's in those times when you step out, you do those things, and God meets you, and wonderful things happen. I'm going to read uh, an email that I, I woke up to yesterday morning before church from a lady in our church. I won't mention any names, but uh, here's what she said. Hello, I want to share my story with you. Jesus had been putting it in my heart to serve at kids camp for about three months now. However, camping is something I do not do. It is completely out of my comfort zone. So even though I knew he, God, wanted me there, I ignored it and kept coming up with excuses. He did not give up, however. From every direction, people were asking me if I was going to camp or people were telling me about camp. And one Sunday, even you, meaning me, spoke about serving outside your comfort zone. And then in parentheses, she writes, that lesson was just for me. So I spent a weekend with the grandkids and they told me all about the no air conditioning. This is at the camp. The no air conditioning about the bugs and the spiders and the scorpions. And I knew, all caps, I was not, all caps again, going to camp. Then Miss Darlene asked me if I'd signed up yet. Now let me take just a break in in reading this for a moment. Uh, Our children's ministry director, Darlene Littman, has been with us for 20 years. Uh, I remember just getting started uh, with the church and uh, praying so intently for the one that had God's heart. Jesus, the one that has your heart for these kids is the one I want. And he sent me this faithful woman and her husband, who happens to be one of my elders, um, 20 years ago. And they've been doing it ever since. And it's an abundantly fruitful uh, children's ministry going all the way up to junior high and high school ministry. Abundantly fruitful. And the one thing that Darlene, she's very quiet, and she seems to be unassuming, but when she wants you to do something, you're going to do it. It's not like you have a choice. So when she asked if this letter writer had signed up yet, what she was really saying is, I haven't seen your name on it. It's time to get signed up. So I'll continue. Miss Darlene asked if I'd signed up yet. I gave her some excuse about work and so on. I waited until the, almost the last minute I requested the days off from my boss, thinking it wouldn't be approved, and that would be my excuse, but it was approved. So the Sunday before camp, I go to the sign-up table, tell Miss Darlene that I would be going, and she informs me that she already knew I would, and she already had me signed up. Apparently, Jesus placed it in her heart to do so. So here's where the real story takes place. The minute I said yes, Jesus began, began kissing me. Kiss number one, my granddaughter called and asked if she and some other friends, some girls, could ride with her to camp. How could anyone not be happy to go anywhere with these girls? Kiss number two, I was placed in an air-conditioned cabin. Woo! And that really is a blessing, believe me. Kiss number three, I got to serve alongside the best of the best and the most loving kitchen staff. These are the hardest working people in the camp, and to see how they serve with so much love for God's children was beautiful to witness. Truly the most beautiful and selfless crew. Their love for God shines right through them. Kiss number four, and she writes, this one makes me cry. I made some beautiful friendships and got to know people I've only said hello to in passing before. And then she lists seven or eight uh, names of people. And she said they were the most beautiful example of God's selfless love. And I want to stop on that one for a moment. You see, that's one of the problems with the way church is done in our culture. We have multiple services. We're always on such a tight time schedule. And here at Calvary Chapel, people that come to first service don't know people that go to third service. When we do things like Joy of Jesus or, or our baptisms, things like that, where everybody comes, you look at the number of people and it's overwhelming. And people will say, well, do you go to this church? When did you start coming? Oh, I've been coming for 10 years. And, and you, don't, you don't know. But when you serve, when you begin serving, you make friendships. And, and, and you invest in people's lives. They invest in yours. And it truly is life-changing. And she said, you know, I say hello to people in passing, but now I know them. That was kiss number four. Kiss number five. Every meal... I was constantly told, thank you for serving, and I got to see all the beautiful faces of the children and staff and my very own beautiful daughter. Kiss number six, I was able to bless, and she mentions a young man's name on his birthday while I was there. Lastly, kiss number seven, 
driving home and seeing and hearing what God did with these kids' lives this weekend was enough to keep me saying yes to anything Jesus asks of me. I came home beat tired, but my heart is full of his love. See, that's the point of church. That's what being church is instead of going to church. Being a participant rather than a spectator. And too often in our culture, we check off those boxes like, yeah, I go to church, I, this is my church. But, but we're, we're just there to spectate. We're there to hear and not to do. And it's when you start serving that God pours out his spirit upon you and through you. And once you experience the power of God moving in and through your life, you'll never settle for anything less. This woman will never say no to God again because she got a taste of just how faithful he is. We have a ministry here at Calvary Chapel called Bezalel Ministries. And Bezalel was a craftsman who made the tabernacle in the wilderness and um, filled with God's spirit and God guided his every decision and every move. Uh, and so we call it Bezalel Ministries. It's a ministry that fixes things. We don't ever charge for anything. I think most of you who have been listening to the program know that. But the guy who leads it up uh, is a guy who one time came to me and said, you know, Pastor Ron, God's convincing me I've got to do something, but I don't have any gifts. And I said, what do you mean you don't have any gifts? Everybody has at least one spiritual gift, and most of us have more. And he said, well, I don't have any. And I said, well, what can you do? He goes, well, I don't really, I can't do anything. I, I can fix things. I said, well, are you good at it? He goes, yeah, I can fix anything. And he's been fixing people's homes, fixing cars, fixing plumbing, fixing um, um, fences, just everything that goes wrong in, in, in some of our older people's homes or some who don't have the means uh, financially to, to, to make repairs. Um, he has a huge group of people that serve with him. And they've gotten to the place where now, you know, not only they're serving for free, but but there's just almost nothing we can do. We're all, we're we're remodeling some homes and some things. And one of the things that he got to do was um, he led the crew that built Malta Medical. And one day it dawned on him, you know, he's working in this place. He's doing the drywall. He's doing the cement. He's doing all of these things. And then it dawned on him, God used me to provide an office for doctors who are going to take care of people, saved and unsaved, and tell them about Jesus. And now that Malta Medical's going on five years being open, somebody gets saved there nearly every day, he understands he's a part of that. And a long time ago, he simply responded to God's prompting, if God asks, I'm going to say yes. And everything about his life, his marriage, his relationship with children, grown children, it's all changed because of the obvious work of God's Holy Spirit. So that's my soapbox for today. I don't normally get on that soapbox, but that uh, woman's letter gave me a perfect opportunity just to emphasize how important it is to be a part of the work that God is doing. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Yeah, I just get reminded, here's another place that you can pray before I go to questions. Our school staff, the teachers and the aides, started their their uh, training this week, their pre- preparation for school starting next Monday. So it was teachers and staff back to school day uh, today. And uh, so many of those teachers uh, have worked here for such a very, very long time, many of them for no money at all. Uh, others that we, we have to pay, they're doing it because God's called them there, and they're serving sacrificially. And life gets rich. So life really gets rich. So thanks for indulging me there for a few minutes. It has been a really, really busy, fruitful uh, and at times heartbreaking weekend. So that's just part of being around the body of Christ. Okay, 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Kirby. Pastor Ron, would you please clear the air on the use of the phrase, don't judge? Why is it used? Who uses it? And when should it be used? This is based on a news article about a gay Christian waitress getting no tip for her pro-LGBTQ, that's a mouthful, tattoo from Christians 
who wrote on their bill, can't tip someone who doesn't love Jesus, bad tattoo. That in itself is a comedy of errors. Gay Christians and Christians who do not tip for service rendered. You know, sometimes we Christians, Kirby, we we take a stand for something, um, thinking we're doing the right thing, the righteous thing. But But let me just say this. Christians, we are to be generous people. And the people who don't know Jesus, forget what this woman evidently professes to be, but people who don't know Jesus need to be the object of that generosity. We need to be known as cheerful givers, not just in church, but to the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it have been much more effective to leave a generous tip and maybe make a note, I'd love to have a chance to talk to you about the real Jesus sometime and leave a phone number or an email address or something. We Christians, people are watching us. And this is the kind of thing, I only tangentially know about this. I just saw a headline uh, on my, my news screen. I haven't read any of the details. But the world is watching us, waiting to point a finger at us. And to not leave a tip for service rendered, to not be generous, there's nothing more unattractive than a stingy Christian. You know, we can spiritualize it all we want. We're being good stewards of our money. Our money is to be used to win people to Christ. If that were me, and I am certainly not a wealthy man, I would have probably tipped that waitress 30-40%. And I would have done it just because I'd want her to think about the real heart of a Christian. And if that's what it takes to get, get somebody's ear to have an opportunity to open their heart, then that's what we should be. And that's one of the reasons, and I know, Kirby, forgive me, I'm going way off the, the gist of your question here, but, but that's why these lines that we draw, we'll talk to these people, we won't talk to those people, that causes us to misrepresent Jesus. It causes us to misrepresent Jesus. Was this waitress a gay Christian? The answer is an active, willful homosexual uh, cannot be a Christian. They can say anything, but they cannot be a Christian. But remember, that makes them the object of our ministry, not the enemy of our ministry. And if we don't understand that, then we're completely ineffective. We're lacking love, and we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We who are believers, those of us who are really in Christ, which represents the large percentage of my audience here, but we or her Christians have got to be known as people who care deeply about the lost. And instead of being disgusted by their behavior, instead of saying it's us against them, we need to invite them into to the us part of it so that we can show them what the real joy of the Lord is. And there's just no excuse for not being a good tipper. Not ever. We have, Paul and I, have sometimes received the worst service ever. But remember, we're telling people about Jesus. Our servers, men and women, uh, the people sitting next to us in the restaurants. You know, we're looking for any and every opportunity. Uh, if I tell somebody about Jesus, and because I didn't get good service, I don't leave a tip, then the perception is going to be that I'm just another cheapskate. Oh, who wants their Jesus? Remember, our job is to make him attractive. And then we can tell people the truth in love. So it's very important that we understand that. So that's the part that bugs me the most about this question. Because judgment needs to begin at the house of God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is always more concerned with dealing with his own people than he is in us dealing with people who oppose him. Now, the... the, the Use of the phrase don't judge. And evidently, uh, this is because on this thing went viral. And she's saying, but they judge me, and I'm a Christian. I'm just a gay Christian. Um, everybody who's in sin says don't judge. Judge not, lest ye be judged by God is the one verse that everybody, unbelievers, atheists know. And we get it thrown in our face all the time. We tell them what they're doing is wrong. We're not judging somebody's heart. What we're doing is saying, look, your behavior is defined by the Bible. And your argument isn't with me, your argument with Jesus. I'm just telling you that you're in sin, and here's an answer for your sin, and the answer's so wonderful, I thought you'd want to hear about it. 
But don't judge is always used sort of as a defense mechanism. That's the bomb that ends the conversation. So that's why people use it. So what we do is we don't judge people's hearts, but we are called to judge their behavior. Now, we don't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. So what will we do with somebody who is demonstrably an unbeliever? Instead of talking about all the things that are wrong in their life, instead we tell them about Jesus. Jesus never led in any conversation, nor did Paul, nor did any of the others. They never led with, you're a sinner, you're you're terrible, you did this, you need Jesus. No, he presented himself as a source of joy and fullness and completeness. And what we need to do is to really and truly understand that when people don't know the Lord, their hearts are empty, even if they protest, even if they say, no, my life is fine, I'm happy the way I am, their hearts are empty because that's the way we were built by God. And we tell them about this Jesus that can fill that emptiness in their heart. And even if they protest, even if they don't like what you had to say, I promise you the Holy Spirit will chase them with your words. But we've got to be the ones that tell them. Our problem is we look at people who are different than us. We treat them like they're broken or like they're defective or they ought to know better or they need to clean up and then they can come to church. That's the most ineffective and heartless way to share the treasure of our Lord Jesus with people who are unbelievers. We need to remember they're the object and not the enemy of our ministries. If you can remember that, then you'll change, and God will be able to use you. So um, we should look for people who have objectionable tattoos. You know, I've told you before, uh, Paul and I both the program. Our son Ronnie, we got a really neat uh, surprise today. You know, our son Ronnie, who is saved, um, before he was saved, he got really, really tatted. I mean, he, uh, I think the, the term they use is blasted. He was blasted. He got tattoos all over, and a bunch of them are really gross. I mean, evil and wicked. And on, on, on one of the tattoos that he has, it was a, a, a really almost naked woman on his arm. And it was very prominent, and Ronnie covers it up now and all those things. But uh, he sent us a picture. Uh, we have some, some dear friends of ours uh, who are uh, from our church but have moved to San Diego. Uh, they are um, uh, tattoo artists. And so he sent a picture. Uh, Ronnie is two hours from where these people live. He sent a picture of, of, of this man and Ronnie together. And our, our first reaction was, well, what's he doing in San Diego? And uh, so Paula texted back and asked him, and he says, uh, getting tats. And then he sent the, the, the picture of the completed tattoo. What he had done was he had that old, gross, naked woman tattoo covered up with what is to be a picture of Jesus. I'm not a huge fan of having pictures of Jesus, but everybody that looks at his arm now, instead of seeing a naked woman, is going to see an image that they're going to know represents Jesus, and there's some writing on there that identifies it. And he covered up the old junk with the new stuff. Isn't that what being in Christ is? Isn't that what salvation is all about? We cover up the old junk. Jesus covered it. And then we go out and walk in the newness of life. It's been an absolute wonderful thing for a mom and a dad to be able to see. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I apologize to you because I told you I was going to stop preaching. I I just kept preaching. (laughs) 340-9585. Here's a question from our mobile app from Nacho. Would you explain the meaning and the significance of the word seven as it's used in the book of Revelation? Uh, I can, Nacho. Seven, uh, scripturally, is a number of completion or perfection. We might say the number of the wholeness or the full amount. And in the number of seven, in fact, it's repeated over and over and over, the seven judgments, the final judgments uh, in the early book, the letters, early in the book, and the, the seven letters to the seven churches. Um, they represent not only the seven real, literal, historical churches, but they represent the um, um, totality of churches uh, from the time Jesus ascended into heaven until the time he comes back. 
So it's all true believers. So seven is the number of completion. We've got the seven golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches. So the representation, the symbolism is really important. And because the book of Revelation, all of it from chapter 1 through chapter 22, all of it is a, a prophecy. Um, we understand the value of symbolism in prophecy. And so that's how we read it. So whenever you see seven, whether it's in the Old Testament as pointing toward Jesus or in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, it's used symbolically to represent something much larger to represent the whole. And it's really important, Nacho, that we, we understand that uh, when you read those seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus has a remnant in all of them, but for all but two of them, there is nothing but criticism, nothing but correction and rebuke. And because those numbers represent a larger group, that speaks to us not only as a church, but it speaks to us individually about our walk, the condition of our walk in heart with the Lord. 340-9585. We have 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We're back for the second half hour of the program. We'd love your live calls. John just gave you our phone numbers. Here is a question from Jennifer. Uh, she says, uh, Pastor Ron, can you clarify whether or not the promises in the Old Testament to Israel now belong to the church? Have those promises transferred to the church now? Jennifer, the answer is no. Israel and the church are two complete and separate entities in the plan of God. Um, Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, is the people to whom God first revealed himself, the people that he called out as his own special people, um, they were under the dispensation of law uh, for you and for me. We're under a new covenant altogether. So the church is the church and Israel is the is Israel. Now, Israel doesn't mean all Jews. Israel always means national Israel. The promises God made to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, those promises uh, belong to national Israel individual Jews have always and will always have to choose whether or not they're a part of that. And the only way they can make that choice is by believing in Jesus Christ. That's really important for us to understand. What's happening here, Jennifer, is a, a, a bad eschatology or a bad understanding of prophecy. What we are in now, the church is in that period of time between uh, the 69th and 70th week of Daniel, uh, as we're told in Daniel chapter 9, when God said that, that 77s will be decreed, that 70 groups of seven years or 490 years, uh, and then, um, then the end will come. Well, but then he says this, after the seven sevens and the 62 sevens, so at, at the 69th seven, there is a break. And that break is what we call the age of the church or the, the, the age of grace. And that's when we're saying now, no, the, the things are cut off and stopped. It says after 62 sevens and seven sevens, the Messiah will be cut off without what he came for, with nothing. Well, we're filling that gap. When Jesus sent his spirit to win this world, he no longer deals with the world according to law. He's now dealing with the world according to grace. By faith, he's asking us to believe. So we're in this gap. Now, there's no way of knowing biblically how long that gap between 69th week and 70th week is going to be, uh, so far it's been 2,000 or so years. So God is patient, Peter says, unwilling that any should perish, and he's not slow concerning his promise. He's patient, and he's asking us to go out now and, and, and reap the harvest. He wants us to go out and scatter seed. He wants us to be salt and light in this world. The promises to Israel are completely different when this age is over and the church is taken up into heaven in the rapture. 
the great tribulation will begin and then we begin the 70th week of Daniel then we will know now we'll be gone of course but then the world will know that there's seven years of history left as we now know it before Jesus returns so Israel is not replaced by the church people say well they cut the Messiah off that was predicted God knew that would happen just like Jesus knew Judas was going to to, to betray him the promises made will be fulfilled completely and perfectly David will always have a descendant on the throne and that's Jesus of course so the church is the church Israel is Israel and if you start confusing the two you got real issues so Jennifer um, hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Tanya from San Leandro, California. Hi, Tanya. Tanya, are you there? What? Oh, I can, what? Yeah, I can hear you now. Uh, maybe we got cut off. Going Okay, we had a bad decision. Call back, Tanya. I'm sure you're listening to the program. We'd love to have the call. I'll take one more question while she calls back. Lee wants to know, uh, is it possible that we could have lived in a previous life before Genesis 1? No. Pretty quick. It is not possible. It is appointed that a man wants to die and then face the judgment. So we don't come back. There's no reincarnation. There's no nonsense called karma. It's just we have one life to decide where we're going to live for the rest of our lives. So, Lee, it is not possible. Um, whoever's telling you this is spending too much time on the Internet. Uh, read your Bible. Uh, don't read what people have to say. Don't read speculation. Don't read these crazy theories and conspiracies that are out there. There is no possible way we could have lived a previous life before Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve, literally the first two humans made directly by the hand of God, the only two humans ever made directly by the hand of God. So, Lee, I hope that answers your question. If we would spend more time in our Bibles than we do on the Internet, then we would know the answers to those kinds of questions and we could just move forward with Jesus just move forward Jesus I would appreciate if we would be workmen and women rightly dividing the word of God here is a question from Jeffrey he says the Bible says that people in heaven are witnesses of how we live our lives here on earth I'm doing things I'm ashamed of and don't want people I love to see can they see me doing things that I'm ashamed about? Uh, Jeffrey, I think you're referring probably to, to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, but that is not people in heaven watching us. So believe me, Jeffrey, the people in heaven are not watching you. They're looking at Jesus. They're enjoying the wonder, the splendor of a heaven that is indescribable with mere human languages. So, no, they're not watching us. Uh, Hebrews 12 begins. We have to remember there's no chapter and verse divisions in the original manuscripts. So, what we do is we understand that that's a reference to chapter 11, the, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, all those Old Testament heroes that are now in heaven with Jesus. But what they're witnesses to is not witnesses of what we're doing, Jeffrey. They're witnesses to the faithfulness of God. The Greek word is um, uh, marturo. Uh, we get our English word martyr from it, and they truly were martyrs, but, but they're also witnesses of the faithfulness of God, and now they've received their reward. So don't worry, people aren't watching what you're doing. Now, here's the question, Jeffrey. You're listening to this program. Uh, I'm going to assume, because you're ashamed of what you're doing, you're a believer. So stop doing things you're ashamed of. You know, it doesn't get better. What you're doing isn't better because nobody in heaven, your mother, your father, whoever it is, they're, they're not watching you. But what you're doing, if you're ashamed, you need to stop. Repent. Please, Jeffrey, repent and stop doing those things. I promise you, you can. The power of Christ lives in you. But you've got to supply the willingness, the partnership, 
to hate what you do. And if you're ashamed, that's God knocking on the door of your heart saying it's time to stop. It's time to repent. Thank you, Jeffrey. Tanya is back. Tanya, thanks for calling back. Hi. Can you hear me, Pastor Ron? I, I can hear you really well now. Okay, great. So I have a question for you. So I was studying um, uh, some of the Bible with a friend of mine, and he asked about my son. You know, Marcus is now 18, and he's graduated, and he's going to be going to college. And she asked me a question. She said, do you think, you know, what, what are his plans? I said, well, you know, go to college, and he wants to be a vet. And she said, what about marriage? I said, yeah, he eventually would like to get married. And I said, he's not really too sold on having children, though. And she said, well, that's what marriage is designed for, and said that it is almost borderline sin if Marcus chose not to have children. And I really wanted to get your opinion on that or what the mm-hmm. biblical – did I miss something in the Bible that says that – and I'll take the answer off the air, but it, it really made me uh, sad. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's the emotion. Thank you, Tanya. That's the emotion uh, I have. It makes me sad when, when people not only think like that, but when they're silly enough to say things like that. Um, children are a gift from God, to be sure. And, and we don't want to miss out on God's blessings. But just as there are some people who cannot physically have children, there are others who don't want to have children. They want to serve the Lord. They want to be committed to, to, to uh, with all their heart to whatever it is he has for them to do. Um, and that doesn't make them sinners. It doesn't make them bad people. The sinner in this case is the one who would make a judgment like that. My goodness. It's perfectly okay to say, you know, did, did your son want to have children? No. Oh, they're such a blessing. I hope he changes his mind. And then they can pray for him. But but to, to, to cast the aspersion that to not want children is the equivalent of sin is um, so ugly, so judgmental. And you know what we just need as Christians? We need to learn to stay out of other people's business. It's not my job if Marcus, and by the way, he'd be a great dad someday. Uh, I've known this kid since he was very small. Um... Uh, we need to stay out of his business. That's between him and the Lord. And you know what the other thing is? An 18-year-old has no idea what he wants to do. And so he's going to find out. He's going to take Jesus' hand, and Jesus is going to lead him down the, the road of life. Uh, one day he'll find some girl that he falls in love with, and and uh, she'll probably want kids. Uh, but but what will happen is God will put his desires into Marcus's heart. So it's not a sin. And this is just one of the reasons that there's so little power in the church. We're, we're, we're harsh. We're judgmental. Uh, we stick our noses in everybody else's business. We just need to focus on our own walk with the Lord. So, Tanya, relax. It's it's bad information. This is a, either a very young, a very immature Christian, or a, a very hard-hearted Christian to say something like that. Um, for some people, um, being a mother or a father um, sort of is a driving goal of their lives. That's a great thing. Um, but not everybody's the same. Paul always talks about her favorite word is unique. Um, everybody's different. And to insist that everybody's like me or everybody thinks like me uh, is just demonstrating that I'm not thinking at all like Jesus. Jesus delights in our diversity. He delights in the differences in people. Some people want to get married. Paul says, hey, it's better if you don't. But he didn't say you have to do what's better. You can't get married. He said, no, do what the Lord leads. So, Tanya, relax. Thank you very, very much. We miss you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Wilson. Interesting. Wilson says, Pastor Ron, do you think it's appropriate to dim church lights for worship, trying to create an atmosphere of worship? Wilson, that is one of my pet peeves. So uh, I obviously have very strong opinions. But to be fair, before I answer, let me say that I am a pastor without a big church building. I would love a big church building. I would love to have this huge stage. I would love to have all of the, the things that you can do. Uh, in, in worship. I'd love to have great sound. I would love to have um, big screens for words, lyrics, and things like that. Um, but but you know, the Lord won't let us borrow any money. 
to build the church. So we are renting uh, in a strip center. We've got more space than it looks, and this place is packed every minute of every day we're here. Having said that, it's not jealousy. It's not envy. If I had all the money and all the space in the world, uh, our lights would never go down unless we needed the lights to be down to see something that was being shown on the screen. If we have to create an atmosphere of worship, well, all we're doing is manipulating emotions. So I don't think it's appropriate. However, I know many, many men that love the Lord with all of their heart, and not only do they have the lights that go down, they've got lights on stage, they've got light shows, they've got smoke that comes up out of the ground, and and I think all of that is simply manipulation. It's like we're putting on a show. So, Wilson, I have very, very, very strong feelings about that. But uh, I have to admit, I'm probably in the minority. Uh, I simply don't think that we need to manipulate God to show up. If we who are believers need to have a mood set in order to worship God, then the world is right about us. We truly are the biggest hypocrites on earth. We live to worship. And we can worship God standing up. We can worship Him sitting down. We can worship Him with singing coming from our lips. We can worship Him just by sitting there and enjoying and praying for people. Remember, we're all different. As Paul's word again, we're all unique. I just don't like the manipulation. I don't like the sense that we're going to a, a show, a Vegas show, or a worldly concert or something when we go into church. Uh, at our church, Wilson, and again, the, the, the atmosphere is just the opposite of mood setting. Um, if you come to Calvary Chapel, you got to really love coming here. It's hard to come here. It's crowded when you're here. Um, the sound bounces off our little square walls. Um, but, oh, I wish you could see the people worship. We have a lady in our church named Natalie. I go up on the last song, you know, uh, while the song is just getting ready to end. So I've got a minute or a minute and a half or so where I'm up on the stage with the worship team looking out as as the, the, the congregation is closing worship. And when Natalie's there, I see this woman worship the Lord. Um, there's nothing contrived about it. She worships him because she loves him. And, and it's not just her. There are so many. We have a guy in our church who, when he really gets excited, he goes, woo, really loud. And, and uh, you know, it's become part of our church. It's, it's not disruptive. Um, we, we actually enjoy it. He's worshiping God. Now, we don't do distracting things here, Wilson. Well, we don't have people running around. We don't have people laying on the floor. We don't have people um, uh, creating a distraction. We want all the focus to be on Jesus, but we also want to provide every individual the freedom to worship Jesus in a way that matters to them. As long as they don't distract others, um, we don't care if they stand, their hands are held up. Uh, typically, you'll see people standing up here, but there's no manipulation. Uh, our worship pastor never says anything other than a quick opening prayer, a quick closing prayer, and, and, and then he says, let's stand up and worship, and, and, and in between, it's all music. He's not praying. He's not preaching. He's not trying to manipulate. Hey, let's all get really deep into worship. Let's worship God. You know, those kind of things that you see are common. That's just audience manipulation, Wilson. And I think uh, that is all that dimming the church lights uh, really are. Thank you, Wilson. I appreciate the question. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question that I'm not sure what the intent is. Do you believe the church is failing I've never been able to find a church that meets my needs. Why is it so hard? Uh, anonymous, a lot of Christians are failing, but the church doesn't fail. Uh, if your perception, uh, when I say um, I'm not quite sure what you mean uh, in asking the question, um, if you think a church is failing because your needs haven't been met, then the issue is you, not the church. Um, if we go to a church to meet our needs. We've forgotten who we are in Christ. Uh, if you go to a church and you say, well, you know, I, God's given me this gift, I want to serve. Uh, but, but, you know, we don't know you. 
let's get to know you. You can know us. And, and before you get a public platform, we're going to make sure about your heart for the Lord. If your question means that your needs aren't met in terms of entertainment or uh, your children's ministry needs aren't met, um, then what you need to do is understand that there's a whole bunch of small churches that need people like you to go and fulfill the needs of other people. So instead of looking to get your needs met, go to church and find out how you can meet the needs of others. Make it your mission to serve. Make it your mission to find out how God can use you. Look for people that are hurting. Look for people that that, that are going through some difficult things. Ask people if you can pray for them. I promise you, if you did that, even a church with as many people and as crowded as we are, if you did that here, it wouldn't take you any time at all to get noticed. So it's really, really important. Um, We understand the purpose of church. We go to get equipped, but we go also to serve. And when you are serving people, then you're going to be served as well. I hope that makes sense. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That's what I mean. We once had a lady come in. This is when we just began 22 years ago. And she was all upset that the children's um, uh, child care wasn't, wasn't headed by Christians. We met at an old daycare center and we hired some of the daycare center workers who we knew, though they weren't Christians, we knew them. We knew they, the kids would be safe. We paid them to watch the children. And this woman came and she said, how can I come back here? The child care workers aren't even Christians. I said, well, how about you starting a children's ministry? We're brand new and we don't have a bunch of people to do these things. It's God asking you to volunteer. And this girl became one of the heroes of my life because she was frustrated with me for a moment. And she said, yeah, I'll do it. And she did. She was here for three or four years and did a wonderful job. So these are important things. The church isn't failing because Jesus is holding us together. Now, there are individual churches that are failing because they've fallen into the world. They've fallen into false doctrine. There certainly are Christians who are failing every day. But remember, the church isn't failing because Jesus is the one not only holding us together, but causing us to thrive. Sadly, I think, Anonymous, when we go to find our needs being met, we're unwilling to face the fact that we're the ones who are failing. Now, I'm not saying you can't look for churches to find a comfort level. Um, some people are comfortable in big crowded churches other people are comfortable in little tiny churches and there are a million churches in between so when you find a church don't judge them based on whether or not they meet your needs judge them based on three things one is the word being taught is Jesus being glorified by the Bible being taught not preached not cute stories not the Bible being talked about but is the Bible being taught secondly Are there opportunities for you to use your gifts? The gifts God has given you to benefit other Christians. And then third, make it your point to be Jesus' man or Jesus' woman every time you go. Be an answer for somebody who is looking for their needs to be met. You see, it's not about you. It's not about our individual needs. The church is all and only about Jesus. How can I serve you? So anonymous new approach is needed, I think. The church is not failing. Um, The church is in a war in this country, to be sure. And we're facing um, difficulties and problems that we've never had to face before. Um... Things are so much different than we ever dreamed they would be. And it's going to look to a lot of us like the world is winning. But the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church. We just have to make sure we're in one of the churches that really belong to him and are honoring him. Thank you, Anonymous. Where are we doing on time here? Just a couple minutes, so no time for a call. Um, Victor wants to know, is it necessary to suffer in order to become more like Jesus? Um, Tough question, Victor, because we all suffer. I mean, 
It's, we live in a fallen world, so we're all going to suffer. Um, none of us likes suffering, to be sure. Um, but I hope it's not necessary. Um, having said that, I can tell you this. When you suffer for his sake, you do become more like him. I told our church here many times that you're never more like Jesus um, than, than when you're hurting, when you're suffering and sacrificing for others. Jesus suffered for us. If we have to suffer, again, it's not something anybody wants to do. Certainly, I'm the biggest wimp in the world. I don't want to suffer. But this is something that we need to be able to embrace, not enjoy. I don't want to appear to be naive here. But we can embrace suffering. Because suffering produces, according to Romans 5, a lot of really wonderful things. And we learn what it was like in some tiny, tiny degree. We learn what it was like for Jesus to take the wrath of his Father for our sins. We learn what it's like to be faithful when we don't feel like it. We see unbelievable fruit. Victor, um, we've got people in our church who suffer unbelievably. Just uh, Some of them I look at and my heart just breaks. I cry. But you should see the fruit coming from their lives. So suffering isn't something that we should be afraid of. Again, it would be silly to say, I'm looking forward to it. That's not what I mean. But suffering isn't something that we should avoid. When we're suffering, we just want to make sure it's not our fault. That, I think, is the line. Thank you, Victor. Appreciate the question. Hey, appreciate uh, tuning in today. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 KSLR, The Word. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, we'll be back. Holly McPherson tonight, ladies, sweet summer devotions final. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.